Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome everyone. Yeah, we got kind of a light subject uh, this week. Instead of talking about all the... Well, I don't know. It could turn into a heavy subject, you know? It could. I mean... Every time we say that, we end up having a two-plus-hour podcast. Yeah. So, uh, right now we're thinking it'll be kind of a short one, but we'll see. Um, the topic is, there seems to be a lot of extra stuff in the Catholic Church. Um, and, and you, you go into any one subject, let's say this, the Eucharist or Mary, and you can kind of dive into it and you find not just the doctrines, but the, the culture behind it and, or at least the culture that develops from it and the, uh, theology that kind of permeates the subject. And the question is whether a normal Catholic, like, you know, one of us who we have a job that has nothing to do with being Catholic and we're raising a family and we're doing all kinds of other things that we're involved in. Do we have a real obligation to kind of uh, explore these things and uh, try to understand them or try to come to a bigger understanding? And also to kind of be a part of maybe devotions and actions that might, you know, that might involve more time than we had really thought we would be giving, you know. Right, right. Yeah, what's 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 the level? I mean, you could be a Christian that you, you might, you know, do your your daily work duty for your family and um and spend a significant amount of time every, every day in prayer. You know, you might spend an hour a day in real prayer. Um go to mass every Sunday uh and so on and so forth. But only have a understanding of the faith that goes maybe just a tiny bit further than um, the the prayers you say that the you know the the formulaic prayers you say maybe the prayers of the rosary the uh, Nicene Creed at Mass and stuff like that. Um, well, if everything you're doing is the right thing to do to get to heaven anyway, do you have an obligation to put aside time? to expend effort to try to deepen your intellectual understanding of these various uh, parts of the Catholic faith. Um, and, you know, it, it, the question occurred to me because we, we actually go into a lot of that stuff while we're uh, doing our podcast. We get into a lot of it in private conversations too, just, you know, right. like while we're hanging out at, at, uh, at dad's or something like that. Um, and we kind of have a a um, a knack. I don't mean a knack in the sense that we're good at it. I mean we have a a, a motivational knack for it. We we have a knack in the sense that we're inclined to find enjoyment in pursuing those kinds of things. Um, but is there an obligation to? And if if uh, if there is, to what extent? And how much is enough? And and so forth like like that that you know that's kind of the question that i started wondering 
One of the things that I would add to this, Ed, you mentioned someone who goes to church, who does the things they're supposed to be doing, uh, all the normal things that you think of in order to get to heaven. But you also said maybe even spends an hour of uh, prayer per day. And yeah. I have a hard time. Yeah, what I mean is the a good prayer life. It's yeah. not somebody, it's, it's not a hour a week Christian who gets their hour of religion by going to church and then otherwise doesn't think about God. And, you know, not, not that kind of person. I don't think someone who spends time praying would not do this already, you know? Oh, I see I, what you mean. If, yeah, I just... Because if, that would be kind of like... Would you just that say the Hail like, Mary over and over again, and that's what your prayer life is? Probably not. I mean, you have to have something yeah. to make your brain um, take part in this, other than just saying words. And you have to have some kind of understanding and knowledge that motivates you to want to say that Hail Mary over and over again, because otherwise it just seems like pointless muttering. So let's take that part out and say someone who wakes up and says a prayer and says a prayer maybe before meals and then goes and maybe says a prayer with their wife or whatever before they go to sleep. Yeah. And then they wake up and say a morning offering and maybe they say the act of contrition with their kids before they go to bed. Yeah. And that's and grace before meals, and then they go okay. to church on Sundays. And if they sin, mm-hmm. they go to confession and things like that. Is that enough? Right. Or do they have to learn more? But you know, that's the the. I think you started on a kind of a, a line of thought that that kind of provides a little bit of an answer when you were talking about how it's not likely that somebody spends an hour of day in prayer and doesn't pursue these other things because you're right that would be kind of like say being married to a woman for i don't know 20 25 years whatever yeah um and yet your knowledge of her is about the same as it was when you got married yeah that wouldn't it wouldn't happen it doesn't scan it doesn't if if you if you actually pray, which is a communication with God that, that you know, both obviously, you know, you're saying things yourself, but there's the openness to um, insights and inclinations coming the other way from God. But but if you engage in that uh, that attention to God's presence right there, right here, right now. Of, of any significant time regularly, you're going to want to know more about God. And since God doesn't, except in extremely rare cases, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he doesn't really just sort of enlighten your mind or illumine your mind yeah. with direct knowledge about him that he kind of infused you with or anything like that. The way to do that is by learning and again, we're assuming you're Catholic. You're already a believing Catholic, so you know this. By learning what he reveals through and in the church, including things like the lives of saints, things like the history of the teachings of the church, things like the development of of theology in the in the church that has come to it, you know not in a sense that all of the theology is there. Uh, is like 
dogmatically yeah. considered defined by the church, but the idea is that the good theology that's there is the theology that undergirds and supports and gives reasons for uh, thinking of as reasonable the doctrines that the church does define. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, I mean, from the, er, from the start, the church says you've got to, you've got a couple things you have to do, but one of them is pray, spend time in prayer. And if you're doing that, uh, it can only lead to a deeper understanding because you, yeah. Um, but what about, okay, the next question is, uh, let's say you do do the minimum amount of prayer. Is there an obligation to do more than that? Um, you know, you, you, and, and I'm, I meet guys like this all the time. Well, I go to church once a week. Um, you know, if I do something terrible, I go to confession and, uh, you know, that's kind of it. You know, I, I'm culturally Catholic, but, mm-hmm. After that, it's like, I, I mean, I say my prayers, what more does he want? And the, the thing about people like that is that they're the same kind of people that we talked about in the last podcast who easily swallow blue pills and who refuse to swallow a red pill. And they're the same ones who make it easy for the government to oppress the church and to oppress church members. Yeah. Not yeah. because they're That's... evil, but because they're just, they've got such a weak understanding of theology that because they haven't been practicing it, uh, you know, they've been practicing it, but not digging into it. And it just, I think it makes people, uh, naive. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a good, good word. Cause I mean, you could, you could take something like, um, you know, taking care of the poor, okay, feeding the poor, and and make it what Christianity is all about. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean to undermine the importance of charity uh, and especially care for the poor, loving the poor um, as a Christian duty. But if you say that's what Christianity is all about, then you start thinking things like, well, my Christian obligation is to, for example, uh, support whatever political movements concern themselves for the poor and offer material help for the poor. That sounds a lot like a Democrat. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, and, and I think that you know maybe maybe that's how the bishops in the United States. I mean, a lot of the bishops in the United States, maybe back in the 30s and 40s. Uh, were solid bishops, but, uh, you know, along, you know, this coming out of the depression and everything and along come Democrats with, with plans that include, you know, top down, um, programs, uh, federal level programs to make sure people have jobs, to make sure that the poor get better lives, to make sure, you know, they, they, they put welfare programs in place. Yeah. And so bishops are only too eager to say, yeah, that's what we need because we're supposed to feed the poor. Yeah. Um, not realizing that the obligation to see to the poor and to love the poor is a much more 
personal and individual thing. Um, not that programs and societies and organizations that help the poor shouldn't exist through which people can amplify um, their own uh, individual efforts to so take, take like the society of um, uh, St. Vincent de Paul. Yeah. Um, you know, the wonderful society does a tremendous amount for the poor um, and you can amplify the good that your money does by supporting them. Um, and you can, you can even become a, a member of the society that you support with your prayers. Um, but it's not a government solution and it doesn't need the government in order to exist. Maybe they get some money from the government. I don't know, but it's not the kind of organization that, that grows out of a top down government program like that. Yeah. Um, but that's more the kind of thing that, you know, if you understood Christianity as a totality, that's where you would go and not, you, you wouldn't be as tempted to say, yes, let's do it to propositions of top down government driven, um, material welfare programs. And it's even with something like that, um, that would be an easy way for someone even using something like that to fall into a trap if if they ignored the the uh the demands of the church to spend time in prayer because you could consider yourself a good christian and you say a couple prayers a day and then you see well i've got to do some kind of uh, work for the church, some kind of work for God. And here's mm-hmm. St. Vincent de Paul. And I do that work and it is for the church. And I feel really good when I do it because I'm helping the poor. And so that will be my time spent giving honor to God. But if you ignore the prayer, then again, you, you kind of sink into action that it doesn't require a whole lot of understanding. If you make, if you, if you combine that with prayer, then you have a good idea of what you're doing and why you're doing it. But when the prayer's gone, it's, it's still just feeding the poor. And you don't even have a reason to do it other than the fact that you feel good about doing it. But if you don't come to a bigger, a deeper understanding of Christianity and of God, then you start to think along the lines of, you know, I'm, I'm doing X amount of work and I have X amount of money to work with for this organization to help the poor. And they do it for the church as part of a ministry of the church. But what if this government put in like 50 times that much money and they could take part of this work and they could do a whole lot more? And you would be tempted to think that if you didn't have mm-hmm. the prayer life. Right, right. And the, the prayer life and the, the, uh, associated, you know, going out and, and deepening your understanding in order to enhance your prayer life. Yeah. Um, you know, prayer, that's a, that's a good point that how much prayer, um, intersects with that right sense of, um, I, I guess intellectual pursuit. 
of knowledge of the truth. Um, but you notice Jesus, how often Jesus tries to go away alone to pray. Uh, sometimes the crowds don't let him. They figure out where he's going and get there first. Yeah. But, um, but then after, you know, that one time he sent the apostles out um, in groups and they came back, you know, kind of astounded that, that they were so successful and, you know, they were able to heal people and people were listening to them as they were proclaiming the gospel. And he said, okay, yeah, that's great. Now come away by yourselves and spend time in prayer. Yeah. It, it, you know, even then it wasn't, hey, great job. Go do more. It was, okay, good. Now come away now you and gotta pray. Pray. Um, now, the thing is, Prayer itself can can also, if it's not, um, let's say, guided by a growth uh, of intellectual knowledge mm-hmm. um, that you get from those who have gone before the saints, that you also get from the, the sure teachings of the church and so forth, it can become a its own kind of self-deluding cycle. You, you can pray and you can end up believing that you're uh receiving um impulses from god to do things that are just the things that that you want to do yeah um and i think yeah. you know like martin luther probably had a lot of that he probably was a master of self-deluding prayer and he deluded himself into thinking that well as long as i pray and turn everything over to God because I can do nothing. Well, then I'm off the hook specifically when it comes to avoiding certain kinds of sin, because really I can't do anything by myself anyway. So I just put it all before God and he'll take care of it. And then I go on living my life of, of sin or whatever. And if I was kind of like the Lutheran way. And if I'm praying and suddenly during a prayer, I get uh, the notion to do something, then that's probably God telling me to do it. And it's, it's easy to, it's easy to think that way, um, if you're down and determined to do something. Yeah. You, you kind of work yourself into it. And it's important, you know, again, part of deepening your understanding, deepening your faith through your understanding of your faith and, and the, you know, the moral, the, you know, the, the, the moral virtues and, and how they apply. Uh, so that you can practice them. They help you avoid stepping into to errors like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of the, um, one of the, uh, I, I forget what, what the broader context she was talking, but Mother Angelica, um, was, was talking, you know how she does her monologues at the beginning of, of her shows. Yeah. And, and she, she was talking about, you know, the guy that goes out and, 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 you know, neighbors say hi as they're, um, as they step out of their houses each morning to go to work and stuff. And one morning, the one neighbor says, you know, I was praying to God last night and he told me that he wants you to give me your boat. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's like, God told you that he wants me to give you my boat. It's like, yeah, God wants you to give me your boat. And the guy thought about it in a minute. He says, I'll tell you what, when God tells me that he wants me to give you your boat, we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, but, it, you know, the, the televangelists are kind of like that, you know, the, right. the, how they. God will, is telling you to uh, give me money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I guess the thing is, if it's even possible 
to spend time in real prayer and not pursue the theology behind it, um, then I would say, yes, you still have an obligation to do it because I, I, how can you love what you don't know? Yeah, you just can't. And okay, you, you do the bare minimum to say get to heaven. Um, I don't know. You, that's kind of treating God like a vending machine though, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, I mean, we do the bare minimum at work, so I can understand someone saying, look, um, you know, I, I, I do X, Y, Z. I, I sell, uh, gizmos and I need to sell a certain amount to fill my quota. And after that, I guess I could do more to make more money, but the bills are getting paid and I enjoy my weekends and I enjoy my nights. And if I wanted to spend those nights and weekends doing work, I could make more money, but I'd rather enjoy myself during those times. And you could do that with a job. But first of all, you're not going to be very good at that job. And true. Uh, when, when it's time to say give promotions or when the company's not doing well and it's time to lay someone off, guess who's getting laid That's, off? Yeah. It's, it's the, the bare, yeah, the bare minimalist. Well, and, but, but you know, you're right though. It, it is a job. You could do that with a job, you know, you know, selling, uh, whatever you're selling, um, I don't know, Jews hearts yeah. or something. But the, the thing is, what if, what if that was your, like your mission? Like, like what if God appeared to you and said, you know what I want you to do with your life? What, what you, what I put you here on this earth for is to go sell Jews harps to everybody. Yeah. Well, then you'd have an obligation to do more than, do more than, than the bare minimum that yeah. your company requires. <laughs> and, and also um, in the end, you would, um, I, I guess not everybody likes their jobs, but I can tell you this, that if you spend more time than those, uh, hours being logged, if you, if you go deeper than that, you're going to get more out of your job. Well, that's true. You know, I, that's true. There's, there's a, uh, I, I don't know. An obviously, art of, uh, you, can, can we cuss on this podcast? The art of giving a shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mean, if you, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, obviously you can't spend every waking moment at work, but right. um, if you only go nine to five, uh, then it's going to be a job that that you barely uh, get finished and you're just not going to like it as much. If you take some of that home with you, I don't, not necessarily home with you, but you spend, you know... You see an article having to do with your industry and you take time out to read it because you want to know more about your job. Well, you're mm-hmm. going to get more out of your job and it's, you're going to like it more. And especially if your job is your mission, which means it should, it should be all encompassing. It should kind of affect every part of your life the way our job as Catholics is. And, yeah. you know, God did, God did give us a mission and it's not, it's not just to do the bare minimum. It's, and if you're doing the bare minimum, I kind of don't think you are doing enough to get to heaven. You know, that, that, that's a good point too, because that, um, you're not owed, you know, God's not a vending machine. Yeah. 
you're not owed something by virtue of the doing the bare minimum. You know, it's not like you you you've you've put your fifty cents into into the machine and you pull the slot and your pack of cigarettes comes out. I'm showing my age here. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work that way with God. The, the church says, these are the things you must do in order to be saved. But if you set out to do nothing more than absolutely necessary, God doesn't owe it to you to keep you sticking with it. Yeah. It's not like, as long as I do this, I'll get to heaven. But it, Cause that's not a promise from God. It's, it's just the church's statement that this stuff has to be done in order to get to heaven. Right. Right. Then you've got to do all the stuff that it, you know, that keeps you doing. You know, it's kind of interesting that the, my wife and I, um, we, we recently went and, and saw a lawyer. My, my, I, there's no way I could afford this, but my work has yeah. this really cool, um, benefit. It's like, I don't know. 18 bucks a month or something like that. Just a, you know, a little bit of change. And for that, you get certain legal fees. Oh, okay. So like setting up a will and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it can cost, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars. Yeah. To do something like that. Uh, well, I didn't have to pay for it because I've just, I've just got the service at work and, and the attorney just bills the service. That's cool. But we went and set up. Um, it's, we actually did a trust rather than a will, but, but he was really good at explaining things. And, and, and it's kind of interesting, um, how these are set up and, and they're all always kind of the same in similar vein. The first like couple of pages mm-hmm. and then maybe one or two pages at the end, that's what you want to happen. That's the thing that you need. And that's why you're there, and and that's that describes the effect that you want to have. Okay. And then there's like 18 pages in the middle of legalese and jargon and everything that has to be there in order to make those other things actually happen legally within the legal framework of the United States. Now, God isn't some kind of legal framework, but the point is... The church says, here's what you have to do to be saved. Okay, great. I do this. Um, and, you know, it, it starts with loving God. Yeah. Um, but then there's all this other stuff that you need to do. It's not like you have to do it like the church is assigning it like a set of checklists, but you need to do it in order to accomplish the stuff that you have to do. Yeah. Because we're human and we need that as humans. Yeah. You know, the the other part of this is that um, if you think of your relationship with God as, as kind of a friendship, um, God wants to provide certain things. And if you're not spending any time with him, he can't provide that. He He wants to give you stuff. It's not just that he needs you to do things. Um, yeah. There's an abundance of charity that he has for you, but not choosing only to get by on a phone call a week. You're, you're missing the opportunity that he's trying to give to you. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you've got, uh, I don't know, you feel like, uh, you want to give your wife like, 
affection and gifts and you want to do things for her and and you know make make her life nice and and reward her for for cooking for you and cleaning the house and stuff and so you're always yeah. you know you you you, you uh, invent things to make her tasks easier you you buy her jewelry so that she can look nice when she goes out you you do little things for her to that she can brag to her friends because you know you know girls like to mm-hmm. get together women like to get together gossip about their husbands and stuff like that um and you know along with that is affection and everything but so you've got all this readiness but she doesn't she's not interested in any of it all she all she's interested in is is doing she'll do the duties the cooking the cleaning and then uh have a half hour conversation with you you know maybe once a week yeah um about the kids check on the kids that kind yeah. of stuff <laughs> and and it's all just kind of utility and and um and nothing personal it's a, so so if if you if you were like that kind of husband and you had that kind of wife, you could kind of see how that might, yeah, how that might feel. And, and it, it might work on a practical level, you know? For the, some couples. The, yeah. the, the bills are getting paid. The kids are getting raised. Uh, they mm-hmm. seem to be getting off to school and then starting careers and they're not psychopaths. Um, so on a practical level, okay, that, that did seem to work, but, um, it could have been a whole lot more fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It could have been real fun. Honestly, I I mean, it seems to work on a, I mean, it, it may in some marriages seem to work on a practical level. In reality, if most most for most marriages, if they really went that way, if if that was all the woman was interested in, the marriage probably wouldn't last. Right, and uh, they, they would get into arguments about spending time together or about what to do on on weekends, and and you know, and there would probably wouldn't be too many children. <laughs> yeah, that too, because <laughs> you need time for that too. That's right. Got to set aside time. So that's uh, yeah, that that's kind of a um. kind of a position that that you can end up kind of putting God in if if all you want to do is the bare minimum necessary in order to get to heaven well the reason you're in heaven is not be, because of heaven for its own sake you're in heaven because heaven is where God is that's that's mm-hmm. the point it's God it's the relationship that's that is the the you know the the motivator, the 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 first good, and the ultimate good, and and it's kind of like there was the Jesus even made a parable about that about the um what the the king or whatever who uh was setting up the wedding for his son and he did all the preparations and sent out invitations to all the important people of the town and everything and and for one reason or another everybody had had their you know, something else that they had to go off to. And so nobody came to the wedding. Oh yeah. And he invited, he ended up inviting. So he went invited the, the gutter people basically. Yeah. I think they killed, um, didn't they kill the son or something? No, that's the one with the, the vineyard. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you know, okay. Here's, here's where the difficulty comes in. Um, 
you're one of those guys who goes to church once a week and, you know, if, if someone really got you to tell the truth about it, it's something you tolerate and really not much more than that. You tolerate it because mm-hmm. your life's pretty comfortable and you don't have anything that you end up praying about. Um, and you just don't have any interest in learning about God or finding out more. And so someone introduces you to say a podcast and it's like, even if you end up listening to it out of, uh, just because you promised you would do it. And so you listen to it, but you just can't find any interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where do you turn it? If if I were going to try to convince someone in that position, see, I've always found this stuff interesting, and I've always wanted to find out more, and just because of the way we were raised, I've, um, even at my worst sin, I still had a mind of, I need to stop, and I need to somehow find my way back to God. Um, but if you don't have that inside you, how, and, and, and here's these jokers on a podcast saying you actually have a duty to look into this stuff and to learn more about it and make it a part of your life. How do you do it? How yeah, do you develop a, a, a you an interest? Us. How do you generate the motivation interiorly? That's not easy. No. Especially if you're comfortable in life, you know? If you don't have any but major you know crisis. There is, um, I, gotta get I can't something promise from the that kitchen. this works for everybody. What's that? I gotta get something from the kitchen. It'll take oh, me a minute. Okay. Um, there, I can't promise that this will work for everybody. Um, but there's a phenomenon in the human condition that two things kind of occur. One is that the more you know about something, the more you tend to be interested in that thing. Um, Sometimes the, you know, it's like, okay, a new topic comes up and it's like, oh man, shoot me now. I don't, I don't want to, I don't care anything about this, but you pick up a thing here and there through osmosis, maybe because it's, it's something your wife's into, uh, maybe because your buddy at work listens to that channel on the radio that they're talking about it all the time. Um, whatever it is, and you develop, start developing a familiarity with the the terminology of the topic, the jargon, the um, the concepts or the people or uh, you know whatever it is that it, that's involved in it, and how they relate to each other, and you start picking up on you know on uh, connections. So they'll they'll say something about some aspect of it, and then it'll actually register in your mind that it. Oh, that's relates to this over here too. And, and the more of those connections that you develop in your brain, yeah. I, I think it's, it's kind of like part of how the human brain works. I, I think it's a neurological thing. Um, but the more of those connections you pick up, the more you actually become interested in the overall topic itself. Um, and yeah. like, you know, for example, when I, when I was a kid, um, you know, we, we had the, um, you know, our home team, the Reds, 
the big red machine. Uh, Sparky Anderson as the the manager, and you know we had the the players Joe Morgan, Pete Johnny Rose, Bench. and, and uh, Johnny Bench, and and uh, I was at his last know, game. D- Dave Concepcion and and Dan oh, Saver yeah. and all those guys. You, you know the. Uh, but the thing is, um, I I knew the names, and then even a, a generation shot. after that, I continued to know the names of the players um, on the Reds team, and a few names scattered around the rest of the league too. But for me, I mean, I remember March shot. Interest, oh yeah, March <laughs> shot. Yeah, when she owned them. <laughs> yeah, she uh, got in trouble for. Uh... <laughs> she got in all kinds of trouble. I went to. She's got a couple of car dealerships. Uh, I would go That's to. That's how she started out. Yeah, she had those two, those big Great Dane. No, those those uh, dogs. They weren't Great Danes. They were uh, Saint Bernards, weren't they? I don't remember that. Shotzi. I don't remember that. She, but I, she would have. I, there were one or two. She were would they have, in a commercial in, or something? Commercials. Oh, well, I went to her car dealership to fix uh, copiers every once in a while. Oh, okay. I never did meet her, but uh, I would talk to some of the other guys, some of the salesmen and stuff about her. They said she yeah. was a character. Yeah, yeah. No, she was uh, yeah, colorful, <laughs> which got her into trouble. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> anyway, thing is, today, I couldn't give a hoot about the Reds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not, I mean... I'm not really all that interested in sports, but if I knew the players on the teams and knew anything about them, I probably would give a hoot enough to follow the games and the standings and stuff like that. But I don't. And it's because I don't know anything in that topic. And, and, you know, you, you give me the name of a player on the Reds and I don't have any associations to make whatsoever. Um, and, and I, you know, it's not an important topic. I'm not going to bother to go learn just so that I can be interested in the Reds. But I think that's a real phenomenon. That um, is true. Um, and so often, but here's the other thing. So I am only minimally interested in, say, politics. Um, and I should be more interested because today politics is important. But I, I, you know, my natural inclinations just don't go that way. But I have a son who's very interested in it, both historically and current events-wise. He's really good with names. And the thing is, when he talks about it, I'm almost always interested in everything he's saying because he curates the information and the stuff he talks about is the interesting stuff. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when we go to the Red River Gorge and, you know, Either you or Jason puts on one of your playlists. I never have time to go actually sample music and listen to new music, but you guys do. And um, you, the music we're listening to there isn't just like uh, you know a, a, a shotgun of music that you've come across. You've curated it and found the interesting stuff, the fun stuff. To yeah. Listen to okay, and that's what we hear. Well, it can be that way with information too right. about a topic. And it can be that way about religion. Uh, now, different kinds of things may be what gets people hooked when it comes to religion. Some people are really interested in stories. They want to know, hey, this saint, that saint. I and, uh, and, I tell you, you know, know what, that that's almost every time I talked to my kids as they were growing up, it was in the form of some kind of story. 
um, mm-hmm. about religion. Anyway, you know, I, because mom always told us the stories of the saints, that's kind of just how I assume people are able to grow an interest in things. And also when I talk to them about American history, I don't tell them about the events of a, a particular battle, say, in the mm-hmm. revolution. Instead, I tell them a story about one of the characters in that battle and what happened to him personally. And uh, he, my son has even approached me and said, Dad, when I sit in history class, it is the most painful, boring thing in the world. But whenever you talk about history, I'm really interested. And yeah, it's because... It's- Exactly. Picking out the right information. (laughs) So, so if you find our podcast really boring, uh, there might be, first of all, we're we're doing it wrong. Yeah. Tell us. (laughs) You guys are boring. But don't, here's the thing. Don't give up on learning about the faith. Go find some other podcast because you'll find that one that clicks for you. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it could be that that in terms of uh, in terms of of really clicking with that interest, it could be that the podcaster out there ends up being, say, some Protestant or something like that, yeah. and and so you end up listening to it. But then what what you got to do is be careful, and you know if if you become, hey, well, yeah, this this stuff really is interesting now that I'm hearing it told the right way. Okay, but now you need to also now that you've taken that interest. You need to make sure it's grounded and go yeah, uh, find the Catholic correctives it. and that kind of stuff. That is one uh, way. Yeah. The yeah other... that's the that the two that's the two things I was saying. The, the first is as you learn it, if, if you force yourself, there's a hump to get over, and then it becomes interesting. Yeah. And the second way is finding someone who who gives you the right chunks of it initially to that that make it interesting that can help you get over that hump the other thing is that um you know i i think it's i've heard it said a lot of ways number one is um fake it until you make it Uh, and that is uh spend time in prayer even though you don't have interest in prayer and and persevere for a while Giving God a, just a, a certain amount of time each day, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, and spend it in actual prayer, not just sitting and thinking. Have yeah, set prayers that you say. God, but talking to God. Either the rosary or, uh, yeah. the, the bravery is, is really the best way to do this. Um, but if you do that, if you're open to it, because prayer is a two-way communication, um, eventually you will kind of develop an interest. Mm-hmm. Because, look, God is the creator of everything that is. There is no way in hell that he could be uninteresting. God is interesting. And all of the subjects in life can be found in God. So there's nothing there that you could consider. I mean, I guess there are uninteresting aspects to you or to me because uh, we have preferences and that's the way God made us. 
But whatever your preferences are, you can find that in God because God did not make anyone who would be unable to find him interesting. It's just a matter of developing the relationship so that so that you know which area to go to and know which area to look into. And I think the rest will happen naturally and spiritually, but you do have to you do have to take that first step. Okay, I'm going to spend some time. The same way if you're married to a woman that... I, I mean, look, we've had arranged marriages throughout history. That's always been a thing. Uh Yeah, that's true. If you've been arranged to be married to someone like like Mary was uh it, with Joseph, you're not going to get a whole lot of out of, out of that marriage if you don't spend some time. You got to... You got to put the time in, and that's how it is with any friendship. Friends that you've had that you haven't seen for a while, you might get together with them once in a while, and really all you do is kind of talk about old times because you don't Mm -hmm. have any real connection to them in real time. If you want to really have the friendship again, you actually have to spend a certain amount of time with them, just just doing whatever, fishing or playing pool or uh, you know, you got to spend time. And so I think as uninteresting as it could be, you will create an interest if, if you put the time in, but you got to put the time in. And like I said, it, it's hard for me to even envision this because I've always had an interest in it. But, um, you know, I guess I could imagine if someone told me, Hey, look, it's important for you to be interested in baseball and you, you got to learn this stuff. And, and this is somehow tied to my eternal salvation. That would be really tough. Uh, <laughs> and I can imagine us telling someone you need to have interest in religion and in God and to, to spend more time doing it and to spend more time learning about it. it it's tough. It, it's a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to church every Sunday, then you believe something. You believe that God exists. And if you believe that, you have to take it to the next step. I mean, if he exists, you know, and he may, you, you owe him that's everything. That's what I've always said. I mean, people like, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know, a lot of Democrats maybe, <laughs> yeah. Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't make sense to me because um, being Catholic in any sense whatsoever is uh, just downright annoying. You know, just, just look at it from a human level. It's, yeah. it's annoying to be Catholic. You, you, whatever level of Catholic you are, there's these things you have to do, these obligations. Yeah. Wait a minute. No meat on, on Fridays during the right. Okay. Uh, well, I gotta, okay. Now I gotta remember that. I gotta make arrangements for meals. Um, go to mass every Sunday. Well, you know, like some Catholics, uh, consider that more of a suggestion. Um, but the thing is, there's, there's things that you have to do as a Catholic. There's obligations. And yeah. if, if you're going to say, okay, yes, I'm going to be Catholic and therefore I'm going to believe that these obligations are real because that's, that's minimally what it means to be Catholic. Well, then why would you bother doing that if you didn't believe the need to go all the way with it? Yeah. Yeah. If you've gotten that far. And I guess there are those people who are like, okay, I'm doing this because my wife said I have to do it. And oh, I know guys right. like that exist. 
Um, pressure, so, social pressure Catholics or whatever. Okay, I guess I, I don't know what to say to. You. I would hate to be in your shoes. Um, you're probably not listening to our podcast if you're that kind of Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's like your wife's got it on and she, but maybe you're just you know kind of driving. And, <laughs> yeah, but um, so I mean, if if you are that guy, I I don't know what to say to that because I don't know. I, look, if I'm if I'm doing something for the benefit of my wife and kids, like they. They think that we ought to be doing this, and I do it because I want them to think that I believe that also. Well, then I still got to go all the way with that. Yeah. I mean, if, here's the thing, if I didn't think, if I didn't think that it was right, I, I don't think I would agree to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I don't understand is guys yeah. who do this for their wives. And it's like, yeah, your wife is believing it. telling you you have to go to church every week, and you don't believe you should have to go to church every week. Well, then why the hell are you going? What? Yeah, because I would never do that. I would never act yeah. to my son like I believe something that I don't believe, just so he'll believe it. If I don't believe it, then why mm-hmm. should I want my son to believe you it? You don't want him to believe it. I I want him to think the truth in everything. And so I'll never give him anything but the truth as as far as I can see at the time. So I guess I guess if you're listening to us, then you really do have a belief and an interest. And your best way of furthering that is to spend time in prayer. Yeah, and making fruit out of it. Yeah. Spend time in prayer and, and spend time in study. Yeah, and you'll, these two things will follow each other naturally if you give it the time. I don't know how long that time is. You know, I guess for some guys it might be a couple months before they start Uh, really seeing anything from it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't, it's, that's, that's what's weird is to try. I, I, I have no guidance for the starter outer because, you know, I don't know about you, but I always took it seriously. Yeah. I mean that that didn't mean that I was was not a um, rationalizer. I mean, if I wanted to get away with something, I I could rationalize with the best of them. Right. And and there was plenty of stuff that I wanted to get away with that I did. Um, but in terms of the faith itself, the realities behind it, and the need to know and learn and develop, I always kind of took the whole enchilada seriously. You know, um, I guess. I, I do have one kind con- okay. Here's the thing. Uh, we say the rosary and we have, uh, as a family and as a church, devotions to Mary. I don't really understand the devotion to Mary. I don't. From a. From an emotional standpoint, I guess. Intellectually, I get it. But. Oh. I say the prayers, uh, and I guess I am praying and I am talking to Mary and through Mary to Jesus, but I don't, I don't quite understand devotion to Mary. But, um, I think at one time I did a little bit more than I do now, but I, um, there was a time in my life when <clears throat> it was a brief time. It lasted about a year 
I had started praying. I had spent less and less time in prayer. And, um, and then even less and less of that time saying things like Hail Marys and the Rosary. Mm-hmm. Um, still going to church, go to confession when I felt like I had to. And I wasn't, I wasn't living any kind of major sin, but I just wasn't praying much. And, um, I was talking to Jason. I don't know who he was quoting, and I don't even know the exact quote. But he was talking about the fact that if you're a Catholic, and if you're not saying the rosary, you're probably not headed to heaven. Huh. And I just, you know, that kind of stuck with me. I thought, you know, I should start saying the rosary again, or at least have some kind of, some kind of structured prayer life that I follow on my own that's separated from everything else. So it was around that time that I started saying the rosary again. And there were a couple other problems in my life that had festered that I didn't really understand how much they had festered until I started saying that rosary again. And then suddenly those problems got really big, really fast. And, um, and then they got better. You know, hmm. I attribute that to the rosary. And so ever since then, I've been saying the rosary. But I don't even know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Other than... Yeah, I was, was going to add, what do you mean by understand? Because to me, understanding is an intellectual thing anyway. Do, do you mean like you you don't you don't feel anything emotionally when you pray yeah. the rosary? Is that is that all yeah. you mean? Yeah, I and, I, and I... Uh, Look, I, I feel certain connections to God. Uh, I feel love for God. I do not feel love for Mary. Hmm. Or any kind of closeness to Mary. And I know guys who live for the rosary and, yeah. uh, talk about Mary as their mother. I don't feel Mary as a mom. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I just, don't enjoy that closeness. I guess kind of like the way I'm, the way, you know, some people talk about, um, going to confession, leaving the confessional and feeling this giant burden lifted from their shoulders. I have never felt that. <laughs> Even when I've had to confess really bad things. I do. I hate do? going to confession. I love having gone to confession. Really? Yeah. I, I feel almost no different from when I went in and I'm as honest about it as, as I could be. I, I don't, uh, I don't hold back and I, I don't ever mm-hmm. lie to myself, let alone to a, a priest. Um, but I've never felt that, that lifting of burden that people talk about. And in the same way, I've never felt any kind of relationship with Mary. But I have discovered that saying that rosary is pretty important. And if, if you're not saying the rosary, you're probably not on a path to heaven. Because if you're a Catholic, that's what the path to heaven looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wish I could explain what I'm trying to say better other than that just, um. No, but I think it, it, ties in nicely to what we're saying because there are some things that you have to just do 
both intellectually and um, willfully. Uh, yeah. I mean, you have to will yourself to do these things. Right. That that will not necessarily present themselves as um, immediate intellectual, I mean, uh, immediate emotional rewards. You won't get necessarily enjoyment out of them. Right. And I guess that's what a lot of religions tend to do is um, give you some kind of emotional high every time you do this, this, or this. And I don't always get that from the same things that other Catholics do. But I do know Mm -hmm. that there's a giant difference in my life if I force myself to do them. Yeah. You know, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is uh, other areas of my life get better as long as I do these things. If Mm -hmm. I don't do them, I start slipping in my life in ways that I don't see until later when I start doing them again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... I start falling for certain idiotic sins that I wouldn't have fallen for if I had continued uh, with my prayer life. Well, yeah, that's that's uh, I, I've I've re- I think of prayer. I, I don't think of prayer. I think of prayer as as what prayer is. But um, I sort of analogically compare prayer um, to mulch. Um, when, when there's an area, a flower bed or a garden or whatever that you mulch, you know, over and over again, one of the things that mulch does and is supposed to do is to decompose. Um, part of the purpose of it is to decompose and become part of the soil. Um, now when you put it on, it's fresh and the top layer of mulch helps keep moisture in and all that kind of stuff. But the point is you keep adding mulch year after year. It decomposes, it goes into the soil, it makes the soil nice and loose and when weeds crop up there's a big big difference pulling a weed out of a soil uh a a flower bed that has been mulched consistently for 20 years yeah versus pulling a weed out of a flower bed that that has just freshly been planted and has you know and it's only got its one layer of mulch on it for the first year right um and it's kind of like that with with uh, with sins. When you have a regular prayer life, you recognize those sins, and it's like, oh, got to quit that. Just pull it out, throw it away. It's like a weed being pulled out of 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 a, a deep layer of nice loose soil that's been well mulched and well uh, cared for over the years. Uh, whereas if if you let your sin light your uh, prayer life go dry, and then sins develop out of that dryness. Um, the, the, you know, getting rid of them can be quite difficult and, and you end up pulling it and, and it breaks the stem off at the ground level. The root's still in there. It grows right back up again. Yeah, that's true. And if you've, if you've gotten to that point, trying to rid yourself of the sin almost becomes impossible to where it's like you need some kind of life upsetting event to even help you get rid of the sin because it's uh, so much become part of your life that uh, you can't just pull it up. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Either life upsetting event or you have to stick with the prayers. And yeah. over the years of your prayer life, you realize, oh, wait a minute. Now the soil has loosened enough. I can, start. I can pull this out. It, a new one might grow back. 
because maybe a seed got left, but you'll pull the whole root up when it does come back again. Yeah. If you stick with those prayers. Now, it might take 20 years, just like it takes 20 years of mulching right. a, a flower bed to, to get the soil that nice. might take 20 years of consistent prayer life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, but, you know, as we've said that uh, in other podcasts, um, God has his own timetable, and he does things at his pace, and if you're sincere in asking him and spending time every day asking him to remove a sin, he will do it. But uh, sometimes it's like, well, you you spent 20 years ignoring me. Uh, now it's going to take 20 years of paying attention to to get the help you need to get rid of this sin. That's right. That's right. Because he wants your life. Because he wants to give you everything. Yeah, we're back with that. You're, He's not a vending machine. He... You, you owe him everything. He wants everything. And at the same time, he wants to give you everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, if you are a bare minimalist, that's just not going to happen. It can't happen. All right. I, I think we're done, aren't we? We've exhausted that topic. Okay. Well, let's talk about news. Yeah. Um, let's see. Onslow, Western Australia. Sorry, folks. Let me start over. I moved my microphone, which... You know, I moved the mic... I moved the mic to get it out of the way of the computer screen, but I did it kind of like as if I'm just moving something to the side, and I forgot, oh, this is how people hear me. Okay. (laughs) I need this here. Um, Okay. Onslow, Western Australia, reports the hottest day in recorded Australian history. Uh, at 123.3 degrees. That is one hot day. But I would have thought it would be more than that, you know? The hot, absolute hottest in all history is 123.3. Yeah. In, in Onslow, Western Australia. Um, let's see. The equator, Australia's not even in the, on the equator, I don't think. No, it's not on the equator, but is it, is it in the tropical region? I don't know. Well. But that's in in all of Australia. I don't know if they mean it. No, they said in all of Australia. Oh, okay. <laughs> or at least in Australian history. So. Recorded history. Okay, so. so it's just, yeah, Australia is really not too far from the equator. Um, well, hold on now. But no part of Australia is on the equator. No, no, not on it. I'm trying to find a map that shows me Australia relative to the Tropic of Capricorn. I don't even know where that is. I don't know. Here we go. Yeah, the the Tropic of Capricorn travels right through about the middle of Australia. Okay. So between the Tropic of Cancer... So, okay, to to explain to everybody, uh, most people probably know, but but what the tropics, the, the lines of tropic are, the Tropic of Cancer in the north in the Tropic of Capricorn in the south. So, um, you know that as uh, the Earth is tilted on, on its axis of rotation, and so as it goes around the sun, 
uh, there's a change during the different parts of the year as to what part of the world you can be in where the sun is exactly straight up overhead. Okay, I see. Okay, so the the equator is the average, and the two uh, tropical lines are the maximum extent north and south where the sun ever becomes exactly straight overhead. I see. So I did not know what those were. I'm glad you explained that. Okay, so so it's not on the equator, but it is in that in the tropical region. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, anyway, it was hot. <laughs> um, yeah. Italy imposes a six-month ban of hunting and other activities involving direct contact with boars in uh, 14 rural areas. <clears throat> Where the spread of African swine fever has infected the animals. So, huh. apparently, African swine fever uh, is infecting areas in Italy and they're keeping people from hunting swine because that's actually where it's coming from. Huh. Um, okay. This is in the wrong section. Um... An armed man claiming to be the brother of Pakistani Al-Qaeda uh, suspect holds congrega- uh, congregation at hostage in Texas this week. Uh, this is a synagogue. Jewish congregation? Yeah. Jewish this congregation? Is, this is a Jewish synagogue. And he okay. and he goes in there and he takes over the, the, the church or the synagogue and holds them all hostage. Um... They were, you know, they had a hostage negotiator talking to him for a while. Finally, they ended up shooting him. Um, the demands he was making had nothing to do with Jews, though. I don't, you know, well, it was kind of an odd situation. Did, did it have to do with, he, he was he was claiming to be the brother of... Of uh, Afia Siddiqui. Is, is he like some... some um, I guess he's some kind of who's like yeah. under arrest right now or something. Yeah. See, I can't tell if if the guy was supposed to be under arrest or. You know, where did I see that? I saw that in. Okay, he's a Pakistani national who is serving an 86-year sentence at the uh, Federal Medical Center in Texas. Well, for an attempted guys- murder and other felonies. Did the guy's demands include releasing him? I don't think so. That's the thing. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of like... Demand? Uh, no, no. Okay, I'm wrong. He did release oh. his demand. That's what he... Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, I don't... It would, The whole thing is stupid. How? What did this guy think he was going to be able to do? Yeah. Like, even if they released him... Was he think he's going to somehow get on a bus and, and escape and not ever be seen? I mean, yeah. it, it's, it was dumb. But uh, I, as far as I know, none of the congregation were harmed. Um, and we ended up shooting the guy. But, uh, there, yeah, this hostage situation in Texas existed for a while before. Uh, oh, it was an 11-hour standoff. So Oh, okay. So and they ended up, yeah, shooting the guy. Yeah, 
Um, okay, so we talked about a eruption of Hunga Tonga in the Pacific near Tonga, or actually as part of Tonga, uh, uh-huh. last week. So um, there were tsunamis and ash fall in all the surrounding islands. Oh, wow. The... From what I understand, Did the people live on these surrounding islands. I mean, yeah, I think so. But it looks like that actual island is almost gone, uh-huh. uh, according to satellite pictures. I don't think we've even been able to get close enough to to do much there. Um, wow. So if if you look at a at a map, the Tonga is the closest. It, it's right, maybe a little bit. Uh, east of New Zealand, mm-hmm. north but east, just barely nor- uh, east, and it's closer to Australia than any- anything. But all the way across the Pacific in South America and Peru, there are two people killed by a tsunami from that eruption. Wow! How long did it take for that tsunami to travel? I, it must have been like two or three days. Uh, how fast did I didn't know they traveled that fast. I mean, that's, geez. Yeah. And then <laughs> the, uh, the quake from the eruption was actually felt in Alaska. <clears throat> so it's like, it's on the other side of the Pacific and we're feeling it over on this side. So that's, and then we're hitting, getting hit with this tsunami. So it must have been a pretty big eruption, but I don't think we've been able to get close enough to Tonga. Oh. To find out okay. what kind of damage has been done, especially to the the people living in the surrounding islands. Yeah, real quick, by the way, um, a couple things about the the tsunami wave, uh, just from a scientific interest. Um, first of all, um, people may not realize water is generally non compressible. So, like with air, like let's say a bomb goes off in air. Mm-hmm. And you've got an extremely high pressure right at the site where the bomb went off. And the further out you get away from the bomb, um, air itself is compressible. And so as it gets further away, the pressure wave gets lower. Now it gets dissipated because it's spreading over a surface area, but it also gets attenuated because of the compressibility of the air. And eventually it goes away to nothing. Water's not quite like that. Water is non-compressible, so the wave can be uh, spread over a surface area, but it doesn't dissipate nearly as quickly. So to be the same distance from a bomb in water is far more dangerous than being from that bomb in air. So if you're in the air, uh, two miles might be plenty, but underwater... Not necessarily in water. Yeah. Okay. So, so keep that in mind, and then consider this: a tsunami in water travels about 500 miles an hour. That's like a jet plane. I did not know they traveled that fast. I thought that's like I, 60 I thought miles maybe, an hour was yeah, fast. I thought maybe a car. <laughs> yeah, I thought you could outrun one, but I guess not. <laughs> no, not even close. Even in a jet plane, you'd I don't have think trouble. I don't think there's a boat. It, that has ever been invented that could outrun a tsunami. Wow, I had no idea. Do 
do tsunamis like a tsunami like that? I wonder if if it's something that might be traveling underwater that that's what that I'm can't thinking. be seen, like, like and then suddenly you see it as, it as it gets closer to shore, it starts growing and growing mm-hmm. higher right. on the surface. Right, and if it's if it's like a, it, it would be like one of those phenomenon if if there's a a rarefaction followed by. Or, or a compression followed by rarefaction that, you know, like, like the way a lot of waves travel. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if there's like a phenomenon where like suddenly all the water seems to be sucked from the beach out into the sea. Oh, and then, yeah. And it's like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, wham. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, two people are killed. It says a yeah, small tsunami, but I don't know what small means if it killed two people. But of right. course, they could be people who were out on their boats offshore. Yeah, the boat flipped or, or yeah, yeah could, okay. any number of things there. Um, Not necessarily but, like I, it. I mean, the fact that it was felt across the Atlantic like that. Uh, Pacific. Was, no, across the Pacific. Yeah. 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 Pretty severe. Wow. Uh, Sweden announces that it will withdraw fruit troops from a French-led special forces mission in Mali later this year in response to Mali's uh, inviting private Russian military contractors to fight Islam rebels. The whole thing going on in Mali is just really weird. But Sweden... Why is Sweden even involved in that? So the French sent in special mission forces... And Sweden said, okay, we'll join your forces. And now the Russians are saying, well, we're going to send in some anti-Muslim forces. And so the Swedish are saying... Not anti-Muslim. Oh, yeah, anti-Muslim. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's weird. I don't... You know, every week when I go over the news, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in Mali that I've been kind of ignoring because I have no idea where Mali is. Uh, or I, at least I had no idea. And, but it, it just seems to, it's been going on so, for two years. It never yeah, peters for, out. It's like. For those who don't know, it, in, in, think interior northern Africa, like. Yeah. Like, like level with, like not quite as northern as, as Libya or Egypt, but, but, uh, same latitude as Sudan. Yeah. On, but on the other side, but, but not right on the coast. But why is Sweden. I didn't even know Sweden had troops. Well, every country has some kind of troops, but but why is Sweden joining France? Yeah, in Mali. I mean, what's going on in Mali that Sweden thought they had some kind of interest in? It's weird. Um. Uh. Okay, so you'll like this. So, Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries announces that the UK's state broadcaster BBC will be reformed. I don't know what that means, reformed, with the television license fee being abolished in 2027. Uh. I think that means you don't have to have a license to watch TV anymore. And and, and as of 2027, (laughs) Britain is finally catching up in some small way to the modern world. Yeah, but this is like five years from now. Yeah. That's so dumb. Oh, why not I just know why say they gotta oh, wait five years because they have to funding. find some way to replace that revenue. Yeah. Funding of the BBC will also be frozen for the next two years. Well, that's 
That's such a way. weird. It's, it's it's a weird. BB, I mean, in in the British mind, ultimately everything has to be under in some manner the control of the state. There, you can't have unplanned chaos. Though, I mean, Americans yeah. historically have been fine with that, and we've been a much stronger nation for it. Um, but and we've but, had better TV. Yeah, I mean, TV. Now, I we, love some British shows, but let's face it, yeah, American TV is better. It's just plain better. <laughs> well, you know, maybe British TV will start getting better too. Yeah, now that they've, uh, <laughs> maybe they'll have more than one channel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's silly. Uh, Canada deploys Canada deploys a small contingent of special forces to Ukraine. As part of the NATO response to uh, deter Russian aggression, um, okay. so are they but, just like making good on their obligations as being part of NATO? Though, well, I think so. Also, one of their tasks is going to be evacuating uh, the Canadian embassy in case of a school full-scale oh, invasion. Okay. So, I think they're just there to guide to guard their own people. And to yeah. get them out if they have to, which they probably will. Um, UK is dis- uh, is supplying all kinds of anti-tank missiles to Ukraine. Um, and I, I think this is a big part of it. Because if Russia attacks, I imagine that first wave is going to be mostly tanks. And yeah. uh, the U.S. is also uh, giving them javelins. Which is anti-tank stuff, Missiles. and um, Biden says that the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine will result in a more severe penalty uh, that that we've been, uh, you know, that more than the sanctions that we've been putting oh, on right. okay. Russia. Um, but he seems to be, think that this will happen; that Russia will be invading soon. And I guess that's what everyone's thinking. You know, there's always this phenomenon in American politics. Uh, They call it a rally around the chief phenomenon. Um, Presidents who enter into a war always um, experience a surge in popularity. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen this time. That's that's why FDR... I mean, maybe that's why he's trying. But uh, But I wonder if, if this is... I wonder if this, because I, I, I mean, this was this is something that I would expect Trump to do. Yeah, but right. I mean, you know, Biden. I wonder if 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 this is just one of those. It's like, hey, yeah, this this thing with Russia. Let's let's go ahead and put ourselves in a position where we're going to end up having to go to war, and that'll be how we cause your popularity to spike in time for the next election. Yeah, course, I just. I, I don't know what that would mean because I, you know, will Biden even be capable of, of completing a sentence in two years? I, I don't know, but I think it doesn't matter. I think they demonstrated, but I think this is part of the. I think this is part of the motivation. I don't know. I just, I think they've demonstrated that they don't even care how much people like or dislike the guy that they put in charge, and I. I guess that's, you know, you talked about not caring a whole lot about politics. 
And that's kind of where I am again. Unless unless it looks like there's some kind of hope for politics, mm -hmm. like when Trump was around. You know, when Trump was here, I cared a whole lot about politics. But yeah. now, I don't even know who's doing what. And I don't care because I've gotten to a point where I don't think there's anything we can do about it. So, um, and I think a lot of America is that way. And I... I think that I I mean I think that's to their advantage because there's nobody fighting them anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not fighting politics because I don't feel like I could win anyway. And I don't know. I don't think those kinds of motivations exist anymore. I think politics have have taken on a new where where they don't even have to pretend that they're trying to win uh votes or uh you know, voter could be, could be. Well, we'll see. I, I'm still, perhaps naively, uh, hopeful that it's not that yeah. way. Well, that would be great if it's not. But either way, I mean, it looks like right now it's looking like at least Ukraine will be at war with Russia, which they've been, they've been kind of at war with Russia for a long time now, but. Yeah. I don't, I have, I mean, is America going to get involved in that? In like an actual war with Russia, which we haven't, I mean, think of all the decades that we oh, spent man. trying yeah. not to let that happen. And, uh, the thing is that back then there were two superpowers, USSR and America. Well, now there are, there are kind of several superpowers, including China, and we don't know what kind of, uh, what China That's would do? That's another thing. Where, where's China? That's kind of scary. If if Russia and say the U.S. get into it, oh, yeah, I don't know. That, it's a it's a big deal. You know what? I maybe maybe um, maybe the Pope will actually huh. follow through with the consecration of Russia to Mary's heart. Yeah, I don't think so. Not. Not, Not maybe out of religious book, maybe. motivations. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe he's like, I love Russia. I consecrate her to. I don't know. This well, pope. the thing is, he's more of a friend of China. Yeah. Anyway, if that were to happen, I mean, just look how big Russia is. If Russia really was were to be converted, truly, um, that would be right. kind of magnificent. Yeah. What if What if Russia became capitalist? <laughs> There'd be no stopping them. Well, the thing is, it it's I mean there's well, I don't know. and then there's worldwide capitalists. The thing about Yeah. You know, um I when when I was there, I was talking to a priest there um, cuz I would go to the market and 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 they have these markets set up where it, it's like think of like flea markets. Yeah. It's kind of like the normal way of buying at least in scope where I was. It yeah. was kind of like the normal way of buying and selling any kind of regular goods they did have various you know shops that were maybe specific to this or that um some of them targeted to tourists um some of them you know like that they might have a shop just for antiques or something like that but most of the most of the just regular stuff that you would want clothes and that kind of stuff it was kind of like a flea market and and yeah. they were what they were were these like um sort of like lockable um uh like trailer boxes that were just like all lined up in this sort of maze hodgepodge 
where they would lay boards down because if it rained, the, the areas got muddy and, and you would just walk in this area. You could get lost there. But they, yeah. they during the day, they would open up the fronts of them and they would sell their goods out of them. And at night, they'd put everything away and close it down. Well, I was talking to the, the priest there and he said that, you know, the Russian people lived for so long, just generationally under communism that now this was a few years ago that I was there, but yeah. he said they don't just at a personal level, person to person, culturally, they can't even conceive of this capitalist idea of modifying your prices in order to achieve a different kind of outcome. So it's like, well, if, if what you do is sell hats, you sell those whatever beaver skin hats or whatever, um, and you're not selling enough to make enough money to live on. And he said, well, lower your price so that you can sell more. And they said, well, I can't do that. The price is 35 you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Let's say it's thirty-five dollars. It's probably like a, a hundred and twenty um, rubles. Um, well, that's just what the price was, and that's how people thought of it. Well, how can I change the price of something? It's almost like like changing the price of something is like changing a hat into a pair of boots or something. You know? Yeah. They couldn't even conceive of that being something that you could just set for yourself. Yeah, um, you're right. It's. I mean, it, it could be so culturally ingrained on them that they wouldn't. They don't know how. Yeah. Well, it, to, at least won't happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah. America's a unique place. Um. Well. So okay, they, there's just, there was an independent investigation to look into um, you know, the diary of Anne Frank, uh, oh. to look into who is responsible for reporting their family to the Nazis. And oh. and they they found someone. Okay. Um, like Arnold van den Berg, mm-hmm. a member of Amsterdam's Jewish Council, is probably the person who uh uh turned them in and led wow. to their death. So, could you imagine being that guy? Gosh, I know. Like the most the most famous traitor. It'd be like being Benedict Arnold, you know? Oh, the guy's yeah. name is Arnold, too. Yeah. It, Arnold Van Den Berg. <laughs> Something about That's the name funny. Arnold. Guys, don't don't name your sons Arnold. <laughs> and he's a member of the Amsterdam's Jewish Council. Huh. Mm, my, my. Yeah. Hey, Arnold. Don't ever name your kid Arnold. Um, there's also a, a earthquake in Afghanistan. Twenty six people are killed. It's a five point three earthquake. So we had two it's like earthquakes last week. Yeah, and those were six point somethings. Yeah, this one's only a five point three, but it still killed uh, twenty six people. More than two dozen people. Wow. Uh, twenty nine people are killed during a stampede at a Pentecostal church in Liberia. Um, a human stampede? Yeah, it was triggered when I guess it was during a, a prayer, whatever they have in Pentecostal churches. Mm-hmm. Um, some gangsters entered into the prayer ground and uh, 
I, I think what had happened is they had just taken up a collection. I guess, you know, like they do at churches and everybody gives their money in the basket. Oh, and and the some gangsters, gangsters came in and tried to, tried to take the money and there was a stampede. 29 people died. That must have been one heck of a big church. Yeah. There were a lot of people there anyway. Uh, Supreme Court. Uh, gives another blow to the abortion providers in Texas. I guess what they did is they refused to, um, they refused to hear, or they refused to give, how did they do this? See, I can't quite understand this. There was the heartbeat bill in, in, uh, Texas and. No, Missouri. Texas well, has the lawsuit bill. Okay. Or There's also a heartbeat law. Yeah. Well, okay. So like the heart, the, the, the main law in Texas that everybody's talking about, I understand. Um, I wonder if this is another bill that now they are fighting. Oh, maybe and, it's, and it's maybe they refuse to hear this one, which puts more, even more restrictions on, uh, Texas, uh, abortion providers. Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. This year they did enact a heartbeat bill uh, law that went into effect on in September last year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, that's, so that is new. one more, one more good thing happening. Uh, we just, I, in this case, it is so important to be saying the rosary uh, to end abortion. I, yeah. Of all the things that we can do to keep America going as the greatest nation ever uh, started, um, this is it. Ending abortion is... I, I don't think we even stand a chance of continuing if we don't stop abortion. It is bigger than ending slavery was. Mm-hmm. It is... If, if we want America to continue, we've got to quit killing our babies. And... Uh, this is how we do it. This is the closest we've ever come. So uh, just keep praying for that. Very important. Yeah. Uh, and that's all the news I got. Okay. Well, I've got some news. You know, I just realized um, I was putting these together and it didn't strike me at first, but like five or four of my five news articles are about police or involve the police. Oh. Um. The last one, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they could involve the police. <laughs> we'll have to see. Yeah. I didn't All get right, any so, emails from you. <laughs> what's that? I didn't get any emails from you. So if I have to oh, look shoot. at you anything. You know what? Let me, uh, you're right. I, I completely forgot to uh, to uh, send those. Hold on. Uh, do compose. Yeah, I can send this to you real quick. Okay. All right, on its way. Okay, so uh, first, um, police in um, South Carolina apparently have arrested um, one of the characters from Disney's movie. Uh, they've got some like body cam footage. Disney's movie Frozen, the one that that can make the ice, I guess. Yeah. Um. Apparently they've arrested her for all of the snow. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. So, um, 
so basically there was a snowstorm and there there's some body cam footage of, of someone dressed as Elsa kind of like just having fun with the snow yeah uh, then she saw a policeman and ran <laughs> okay apparently she's still at somebody large yelled, somebody yelled freeze and she probably got she could be heard saying come on guys just let it go <laughs> I guess that's like the words of one of the songs or something like that. Yeah, I don't... Uh, says her accomplice, the abominable snowman, still at large, uh, used the short parody to include a reminder to be safe on the roads. So they just kind of like having fun with it. Okay. <laughs> so they didn't really try to arrest Elsa. Uh, you know, okay, see, here's the thing. That is the one... Um, I, I, I've never seen that movie. All the way through. I don't think but I have either. I I am convinced that... I mean, I've heard about it. I haven't watched it, but I've heard a lot about it. And I am convinced it's a gay movie. Oh, like... It is, it is there specifically to prep kids for gayness. Oh, because, like, she's different. And it's like... I don't... It's just... Like... Like like gayness is just different kind of thing. I I don't even know. I've just I've been told. I don't know. It it seems like a dumb movie anyway. But um, <laughs> yeah. The thing is, little girls are. It's it's like bigger than uh, Little Mermaid was. Which do you remember Little Mermaid? <laughs> Why were not more people saying this is a terrible movie? This is a terrible thing to teach kids. Yeah. Here's this... Do everything you're not supposed to do, and then it works out in the end. Yeah. And this this uh, girl who wants to be something other than a girl... Than what she is. Yeah. And then uh, it's like, in the end, the, the final conversation is, well, you got to let kids be themselves. But it's like, but she doesn't want to be herself. She wants to be... Something else. Something of another species. Yeah. That's, and that, that's true. It takes your magic to make her that. So. Well, you know, in the original Little Mermaid story, the fairy tale, which fairy tales, the original fairy tales always had real lessons. In the original Little Mermaid fairy tale, she managed to become human and then lived a miserable life. Yeah. Her, her that would have been sore, a good. Yeah. Her husband beat her, stuff like that. Yeah, that would have been the way to do it. Well, you know, like I said, you know, Disney's you know tagline ought to be destroy or uh, not destroying. Um, I can't remember the word I originally used, but like basically messing up fairy tales for every generation. Yeah, yeah, ruining fairy tales. They do for every generation. They they mess it up, and they. They certainly messed up that one. I can <laughs> yeah. imagine that Frozen is much the same. Yeah, I think Frozen is just dumb anyway. Yeah. Okay. Next, uh, this is just kind of fun. <laughs> Jeff Jefferson City, uh, Missouri. So the police were, were like testing out one of their alert things, and you know how people always come up with with um, you know goofy stuff when they're testing software. And that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. somebody accidentally clicked a setting that allowed it to go out for real to the public. And they sent out this, like, um, 
statewide alert, the state police sent out the statewide alert um, from Gotham City, Missouri, asking people to uh, be on the lookout for a purple and green 1978 Dodge. Oh, yeah. Uh, GT, which is the Joker car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it sent out a accidentally tested, but sent out a... A tweet to a bunch of people like okay. real citizens. Because the the programmers and the people creating the system were setting up fake tweets that they would use as test tweets. Mm -hmm. And that was one of them. And it accidentally got sent out to the public. Yeah. (laughs) I met Batman. (laughs) Um, During the test, an option was incorrectly selected, allowing the message to be disseminated to the public. (laughs) We were... um, we went to a restaurant. It was like the first restaurant we had been to after uh, things started to open up after COVID. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Sam was going away to the military, and it was his oh, kind, kind of, of his goodbye him. meal. Yeah. Um, and but we had to go. It was like an hour and a half away. But on the way back, we passed this little. It's like a shopping mall, and it's one of those real small cities in the middle of nowhere. Um, and mm-hmm. there was like a plaza there and there was this guy who had this, it wasn't a Batman mobile, but it was, it was a limo and he had kind of done it up to make it look like the Batmobile oh. mm-hmm. and he was standing on top of it dressed in a Batman suit <laughs> and just standing there waving to people. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? So I, we pulled over and... Uh, he was having fun. You know, he would do this weird thing when he jumped off the car. Mm-hmm. And so you could go get your picture taken with him and stuff oh, like that. Okay. Yeah. And then he had a little basket there. He was asking for money. Uh, I think it was just some bum who happened to have a, access to a limousine, maybe an old right. limousine. And he was trying to make money. And that's how he was making money. I don't know. Everybody had their picture taken with Batman. I think I got a picture of me fighting with him. Maybe I'll put it on the... Oh, uh, kind of like... You know, yeah. We were like holding up our dukes and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll put a picture of it on the... That, put that up. In the show notes. It, it was fun. <laughs> it was that <laughs> goofy thing that people do. All right. Uh, all right. Next. <laughs> Another policeman story. Some some uh, some popo do a little too little. A uh, couple of police officers. So, have you ever heard of that game called Pokemon Go? No, yeah. Pokemon Pokemon Go. Yeah. Um. So, um, two police officers in L.A. Um, ignored a robbery in progress. Because they were playing Pokemon Go. No. Really? Really. I mean, I... Recently released court documents showed that they lost their appeal against multiple accounts of misconduct, which had in part been based on a recording of them in their uh, patrol car. Um, The men lost the appeal. Uh, Digital in-car video system uh, captured them willfully abdicating their duty to assist a commanding officer's response to a robbery in progress and playing Pokemon mobile phone game while on duty. I guess... Okay, so... (laughs) 
See, I guess that my age is showing here because it's like you think of cops as being, even if they're bad cops, which I think there's a lot of them out there, mm -hmm. but being serious about their jobs to the point where uh, they just they wouldn't be they wouldn't have any interest in playing Pokemon Go. Yeah, and yeah, the 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 the, the bad cops. In, in, you know, I guess the bad cop image in our generation is the cop who thinks himself as God, and so he can do what it takes to yeah. get a bad guy, whatever, break the rules, so on and so forth. But not the cop who uses his patrol car to go find places to collect Pokemon. Pokemon. Is that what you do? You you go somewhere and collect Pokemon think so. using the Pokemon Go game. Yeah, and it and it it'll give you a, a a GPS coordinate and say there's Pokemon there. Go get him okay. or so, fight him or I don't even know how they collect them, but I know that my kids, some of my kids do it. Um, and I think of it something that kids do, and not an adult who's in any way serious about life. Um, <laughs> but apparently, cops in L.A. Uh, cops but look, in if, LA. if you're yeah. in L.A., they've shown what they think about cops and I mean I don't even understand how there are still cops there I mean they're like the most these hated cops, people in the world these two are sort of making the case for the whole defund the police movement yeah it's like if that's what you're going to do as cops we, we really don't need you around right but that's what we want them to do According to the whole defund the police thing, we don't yeah. want them to be, to be real uh, stopping bad guys or anything like that. So, um, I don't, I don't know what to say about this. It's like, yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> I, and it's, it's such a weird position for me to be in because on the one hand, I know we can't kind of, we can't, we need cops. We need somebody. There needs to be a threat against a normal person who would desire to do something illegal like hurt you or steal your stuff. There needs to be some kind of thing that you can say, if you do this, uh, you'll, you'll suffer these consequences and at the hands of a policeman, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I need to have something against an old man walking down the street he needs to be able to call a cop and say some guy just beat me up or took my money or something like that. And that's what the cop needs to be there for. Um, on the other hand, I, uh, it's just, I, I, it's very, very rare that that's the kind of thing that a cop does yeah. is, is protect the public from bad guys. It's just, they, they seem to do all kinds of other stuff. Like give you mm -hmm. tickets for not having your seatbelt on. For heaven's sakes. That's gotta be the dumbest thing in the world. Why do they care if I have my seatbelt on? Yeah. Yeah. That is insane. If I don't have my seatbelt on, I might get hurt if I'm in a wreck. And then I'm the one who suffers for it. It doesn't make anyone else get hurt. Why do they care if I have my seatbelt on? It's so stupid. <laughs> You know, they're, they're, I, I kind of like have in my mind like, like this, um, hierarchy of gutter jobs, like, 
you know, like, like the 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 least useful, the most like like human waste kind yeah. of jobs. Like like for example, the 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 person who on the way out of of uh, Sam's Club, which I know you don't go to Sam's Club anyway, but they have a person whose job it is to look at what you bought to make sure you're not stealing anything and mark your receipt yeah on the way and you got to stop everybody lines up and stops on the way out of sands club i hate going there because really? of that yeah it's 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 stupid mm. well okay mm. that's that's like you know and and then there's um you know cops whose job is to man the the speed radars well i, yeah. I decided that the lowest of the low it's like if you get assigned this duty it's because you are just absolutely completely worthless as a human being um, at least in, in you know, uh, societal terms. Um, in certain states, they have these, which what are called HOV lanes, high occupancy vehicle, which just means you have at least two people in your car. Okay. Um, and, and they're special lanes that it's like, okay, well, because like everybody's commuting to work, most people are commuting by themselves. We'll encourage... Um, you know, car, car uh, yeah, pooling. Yeah, carpool lanes. By yeah. setting special lanes for people who have at least two people. And because there are not as many cars that have two people, um, you might be able to go a little bit faster during rush hour. Yeah. I saw there are police whose duty is to stand and watch the cars in that lane to make sure they have at least two people. Yeah. What a job. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh my gosh! If I had that job, I I would quit my job as a policeman and go become a trash collector. It would be a step up. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't. It, it's so weird because the right right wingers are so for the police, and mm-hmm. I don't get that. Remember, at the beginning of the the Trump phenomenon. There were Trump rallies in California and people would go there and then there would be protesters who aren't really protesters. They're just there to beat up Trump supporters. And the police were standing by letting this happen. They were not interfering with people getting beat up and hurt. Yeah. Um, and, and these same groups of people who are for Trump are also having pro police rallies trying mm-hmm. to shut down the defund the police people. Right. And it's like, right. don't you remember when the cops stood there and watched us get beat up? Don't you remember that? Why are you for these people? Yeah. Right yeah. now, something needs to happen to make them a different set of people. Cause the guys who are there now are not good people. Cops re- replace the, that's the thing though. As, as conservatives generally, we recognize that a, a, a jurisdiction, a civil jurisdiction, city or county or whatever, yeah. ought to have a police force. Yeah. Of some, you know, it, it's it's a thing that ought to be there. The people who are doing it right now, in a, especially these very liberal cities, are garbage. They need to be replaced, not defunded. Yeah. But see, the thing is, if I were a cop... Even if I had a terrible boss who told me, do not interfere with the crowd. Do not keep them from beating up this, these people. I just wouldn't obey. Yeah. 
You know, I'd go ahead and I I have a gun and a nightstick. I'm I'm gonna I have to take action here. I gotta Mm -hmm. stop them from doing this. Yeah. And I don't see cops doing that. So I I don't know what to say. And now we got them in in L.A. playing Pokemon instead of interrupting (laughs) robberies, helping their commander uh, stop a robbery in progress. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess I don't see that big a difference between what I saw before. So now this is only a couple of guys. Yeah, um, there's two guys in L.A. and they did get fired, but. Like I said, they are making the case for the whole defund the police thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, our next uh, police news happens across the pond in Cambridgeshire, um, England, about 50 miles north of London. Okay. Uh, Somebody on the M11 uh, motorway, which is English for um, highway. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, spotted what they thought looked like a person rolled up into a rug because the feet were sticking out. Oh, okay. So they called the police and the police pulled the car over and it was a mannequin of Prince Charming. (laughs) (laughs) It was headed to a birthday party where, you know, it's like a theme kind of birthday party. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wonder if he got a ticket. No. uh, It says the driver said or the, the police force said that the driver was given advice to avoid such circumstances again. Probably just c- cover your mannequin yeah, up all the way. Why don't you hide that thing a little? <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's see. What's my next? Okay, my next one it does not have anything directly to do with police. <laughs> but uh, apparently um, they found out so, you know that puffer fish have certain toxins in them. Well, they yeah. found that they think dolphin are, like, sucking on them to get high. And really? E- even kind of passing them around the way people will pass a joint around. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they actually saw it happen. It'd be... We could... They could test that and just put a puffer fish in the dolphin's, uh, you know, tank. See if it happened. Hmm. Yeah, it says uh, an extraordinary so footage captured. New documentary: Young dolphins were seen carefully manipulating a certain kind of puffer fish. Uh, in order to continue reading, I'd have to get a uh, yeah, but register with the independent. Um, okay, so what I wonder though is um, if. If it was one of those things where it's like, okay, if, if a puffer fish gets scared, it puffs up, and then it's like a bobber. Oh. And I wonder if they're just playing with it, because it's like, hey, hey, here's a ball that, look, we take it down and it floats back up. <laughs> it's kind of like bet reverse. <laughs> like, we throw a ball and, up, they throw the ball yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And well, you know what? The, 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 it's coming out as a documentary, so maybe we'll see the documentary yeah. and we can draw our own conclusions. I I wonder what document. I'll have to see that documentary. You know, uh, do you get Netflix? No. Okay. I, I turned off my Netflix. Yeah, and I did too. had other services, but I have to admit, if you like nature f- shows... 
Netflix has the best uh, oh. nature shows. I mean, it, and it's got a lot of them. Oh. And I don't, I can't watch, like, I'll watch one and then maybe a year or two years later I'll watch the same one because, you know, you forget the stuff. But uh, I do miss the nature shows because they had a lot of them on. And, and some really high quality uh, well, footage of animals has, and has stuff. Has Netflix settled down? Because I, I dropped it. I mean, they, they had that show come out about yeah. the, uh, the, uh, pre, uh, preteen girls basically, yeah. you know, doing, you know, the, the very suggestive dances and stuff like that. And, and, and they claimed, oh, it's just a show about how they're exploited. Well, yeah, okay. Meanwhile, you're Whatever. putting them all on TV so people can, you know, so perverts can oogle them. And then yeah. what, and, and I didn't cut it then. I cut it when they came out with the, the what was it, like the gay druggy Jesus movie or, or series that they had. Um, that's when I dropped it. And yeah. then after that, they came out with this this other like series that, that was all like gay sex or something like that. Something about a tiger trainer. That might have been the name of the series, uh, I but yeah, anyway, they, yeah. But ha, I haven't heard. But the thing is, I you know, I was hearing them come out with the stuff, and then going look. Oh yeah, Netflix really has this stuff. I haven't heard anything about Netflix lately. Lately, have they maybe like sort of turned around and decided to not do that kind of stuff anymore? No, I think it's because the. Uh, political narrative has died. Um, I think, look, after, I hate to put this back to this subject, but after Trump lost, I think most people, it was kind of like, there was nothing to fight anymore. And it was oh, like, mm-hmm. things like, I mean, Netflix was, was a big part of the, uh, the, the cancel culture. You know, they, yeah. they were one of, they were one of the uh, the tech people who were trying to kill, uh, you know, conservatism, and and I think that I think the conversation died, and I think it's because we stopped engaging in it, and I think all the same shows are probably still being created and oh, still there on Netflix because we used we to all just, have Netflix. It's yeah. Like, well, okay, I canceled it. Well, now there's no reason for me to talk about Netflix. Yeah, I think the people who were going to cancel have canceled, and probably their support base or the 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 members have kind of plateaued. And mm-hmm. it's like we could pretty much do anything we wanted at this point, and right. these people will still continue canceled. to yeah. subscribe. So I I think that's probably why you don't hear them about mm-hmm. them anymore. Makes maybe sense. I do miss those nature shows, but. I'm going to find a way to uh, download them onto my hard drive. It's just that when you download stuff to put it on your hard drive, you tend to do it in lower uh, lower settings because mm-hmm. it, so it right. takes up less room. And if I'm going to download, but the part of the appeal was the really high quality. Of, yeah, that's uh, the cool thing about modern those, nature shows is that they've got those those high quality cameras and stuff. Yeah, so it almost looks like you're there. And so if I'm going to put them on my hard drive, if I'm going to get the full effect, I almost have to make them take up like half the hard drive. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll get one specific hard drive just 
for the nature shows and just add that to my network. There you go. All right. Oh, well. Well, anyway, uh, and maybe when these dolphins come out, you'll have one more to download. But that yeah. is the end of my news. Okay. So uh, I didn't do a whole lot of research on Saints this week, but I did want to talk about St. Tarsisius, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's how you say his name. Um, this is, uh, you know, third century, one of the early martyrs. But the thing about him was that he, there were Christians in jail who, uh, we wanted to get communion to them. We wanted to get the Eucharist to them. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the kind of a, a, a spy type thing guy who would take the Eucharist to prisoners. And so, or at least this is this this is the narrative anyway, because I I think there are a couple, I think there are a couple of versions of this, but um, he was taking the Eucharist to prisoners, and somebody saw him holding something against his chest and wanted to see it and wanted him to show him what he had, and he would not uh, give it to them. I don't know if they knew it was a Eucharist or not. They, yeah, I, I don't, it, I don't know whether I never it was found like, that out. It, it could be that they, you know, we we don't know how it really happened. I mean, it might have been that they they were it was just kind of initially, hey, what do you got there? Well, I'm taking the sacred mysteries to, you know, to the prisoners. Hey, I want to see, you know, that kind of, or yeah. it might have just been. What do you got? I want to see. No, you can't see this. That you know, this is too important, or whatever. I we don't yeah. really know how it happened. Um, there's a poem. Most of what we do know about him is uh, because of a poem composed by Pope Damasus. I didn't even know about that poem. Where's his poem? Let's read it. I don't know. I'm. I, I don't know the poem. I just see the fact that there was a poem. I'm looking at the New Advent Catholic Encyclopedia. You know what, the poem itself, maybe it was translated. It's just a five-line, I think. The way uh, Pope Damasus describes it, uh, and he's comparing Tarsisius to St. Uh, Stephen, who we read of his martyrdom in the Bible. Um, he was carrying the Blessed Sacrament, attacked by a heathen rabble, and suffered death rather than surrender the sacred body of Christ to the raging dogs. But hardly anything's known about his person you know he's referred to as an acolyte uh typically a deacon would carry the host to these prisoners but there was none available at this time so he agreed to do it and and he was attacked and killed because you know because he wouldn't give it over to the you know this gang of boys or whatever yeah yeah so that but that was the big thing is that uh he was unwilling to give a, a gang of boys had ended up becoming an, an entire mob. Uh, he was unwilling to give them the Eucharist or to let them see it or to let them do anything with it. And that was how he died. Um, yeah. Think of the reverence that, you know, for the Eucharist that he had and that the Christian community had then that allowed him to, to grow into that sense of reverence. And compare it's that a, to what we have today. Yeah, it's a shame. We've got uh, cases where uh, infidels 
come and receive communion openly. And the, our bishops, our bishops let yeah, it happen. Give them away. Give it away. This is our Eucharist. This is our, this is the life of the church. And, and you're treating it like it's a, some kind of entrance. Like candy or something. Uh, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And we've got saints like St. Tarsisius must be turning in his grave. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a good saint to pray to during yeah. these times, in, in this about time. these times. Um, I cannot find this poem anywhere. I keep <laughs> seeing funny. little things about there's a poem uh, composed by uh, Pope Damascus. Damascus. Yeah, I see a Latin version here. Maybe, uh, maybe it maybe hasn't nobody's, been translated to English. Maybe nobody's translated. Yeah, I, oh, wait a minute. Here we go. You who read, whoever you are, recognize the equal merit of the two to whom Damasus the bishop has dedicated this inscriptions after their rewards. The Jewish people stoned Stephen when he was instructing them on a better course. He who carried off the trophy from the enemy, the faithful deacon first laid hold of martyrdom. When a raven gang was pressed by holy Tarsisius to reveal the uninitiated, to reveal to the uninitiated the sacraments of Christ that he was carrying, he wished rather to release his spirit struck down than to betray the heavenly limbs to mad dogs. That's a direct translation I imagine mm-hmm. it sounds more poetic in, in Latin. Latin. <laughs> and maybe it's got, uh, you know, rhythm to it or something right. like that. You know what? I am in the middle of translating my second, uh, Shakespeare book. From English to English? Yeah, from English to English, old English to new English. Um, part of, part of what I'm doing is trying to when when Shakespeare uh, had a rhythm and a rhyming scheme to try mm-hmm. to keep that in the translation, to have it translate truly and at the same time keep the rhythms and keep the uh, rhyming schemes. Oh, uh, I wonder right. if that would be the kind of project I could do with this if, if I knew Latin. I would... Uh, I'm going to try to translate this. <laughs> Not right now, yeah. but to to make it sound more poetic. Mm-hmm. You know? Huh. Anyway, that is St. Tarsisius. He is the patron of altar servers and first communicants. Uh, right. Died third century. So, pray to St. Tarsisius. Uh, it's very, it's apt that we pray to him at a time like this. Um, for both our Pope and our bishops who lack that kind of courage and commitment. Uh, and I think that's all we got. Okay. Well, folks, think about what we said. And as always, circle the beads. And we'll see you next week. Yeah.